0: Today's episode of the Bill Simmons Podcast on The Ringer Podcast Network brought to you by ZipRecruiter, our 2018 presenting sponsor and your own personal scouting department. ZipRecruiter uses its powerful technology to distribute your job to over 100 of the web's leading job boards, then identifies the right people with the right experience, matches them and invites them to apply to your job. It's like having Bill Belichick scouting talent for you. Oh, yeah. My listeners can try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash BS. Meanwhile, SeatGeek is the best app for buying and selling tickets to sporting events, concerts, and more for $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. On any game or sporting event, you know what to do. Just use promo code BS, NBA fans. From right now through All-Star Weekend, all you have to do is use promo code All Star for $30 off any NBA purchase for any remaining game this season. Wow. Download the SeatGeek app or go right to SeatGeek.com Finally, Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans wants to help you whether you're looking to buy your first home or your 10th. They'll give you a transparent online process and the confidence to make an informed decision. Get a real mortgage approval in minutes. Adjust the rate and length of your loan in real time. To get started, go to rocketmortgage.com slash BS, rocketmortgage.com slash Bill Simmons. Sorry about that. Equal housing lender licensed in all 50 states. NMLS NMLSconsumeraccess.org number 3030. If you haven't heard, we revamped the Ringer NBA show Monday. Heat check with John Gonzalez. He zooms around the Ringer universe and talks to a bunch of our people. Really fun way to start the week and dive into some NBA stuff. And then on Fridays, Last Friday, we launched Draft Class with Kevin O'Connor and Jonathan Jarks. And if you care about the upcoming NBA draft, and I don't know why you wouldn't. Lots of good stuff in there. They're going to be doing that every Friday throughout the season. And by the way, One Shining Podcast with Tate Frazier and Mark Titus. They're doing two a week. Might even up it to like two and a half a week. Tate, what's the biggest college basketball story of the weekend? Trey Young, the media's turned on him. The world's turned on him, actually. This is great. I hope he falls Mm -hmm. to, like, number 10. Yes. It'll be awesome. And then all of a sudden, now that he won't have three guys going against him, he'll have space. He's got the Orlando Magic. They're going to draft him. You think so? We think so. We believe. The Orlando Magic? Well, they're going to be in, like, the top three. Exactly. They're going to go for it. They still love Trey Young. So we have a rollicking podcast today. We're going to call Rob Stone because U.S. soccer presidency just changed hands. Wild election. Want to find out from him what happened there jacko my buddy is going to give us a winter olympics report my dad went to paul pierce night he's going to give us a report for that and then uh boston radio personality kirk Minnehan from the morning show kirk and callahan is calling in for the first time we're going to talk about a lot of boston sports stuff a lot of media stuff that's all coming up first pearl june All right, my buddy Rob Stone's on the line. You know him as uh, the handsome face of U.S. soccer. Well, maybe you don't know him as that, but that's how I know him. He's the, he's, he's my no. handsome face of U.S. soccer. We had a big election this weekend, and the candidate I was reading for, Kathy Carter, did not win. The person that did win was the number two of the president, Sunil Gulati, who had been in charge for over a decade and who nobody was happy with anymore and somehow his right-hand man won the election and people are confused people are are bummed out um what have you been able to find Including out right i'm Including i'm very you, bummed right? out yeah it's just like i don't know i, I just would have liked a different voice but uh make me feel right. better about this well hold
1: on hold on i'm i'm going to make you feel better about this all right and i'm not i'm not speaking uh, as a puppet or anything but we're in the number one we're in the trust tree right we're yeah. trust tree. You can, all right, we We're trusting each other. So your, your opening tweet came in a little hot, came in a little harsh yeah. on Carlos Cadero. Um, I, I think a lot of people felt that way. I know I slightly did, but I know who you are and, 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 and I just love your passion for life and in sports. And then you, you clearly softened it at the end. Um, and I think it's a little unfair, uh, to say like it's, it's, his right-hand man. It's his henchman. And But I get it. I get it when you just look at that quick um, photograph of, hey, he's, he's been involved with U.S. soccer and he's been the guy underneath Daniel Galati for a while. Yes, that is clear to make that type of assumption. But then when you look into it a little bit further, you also have to realize that Cordero announced his candidacy to run for president before, quote-unquote, his boss, Daniel Galati, said he wasn't going to run. Mm. Uh, and if anything, that created... Some friction between the two personalities that I'm not sure has really been fully sorted out since. So, Cordero, who's a guy who has been preaching change internally for a long time, and has been doing uh, some things behind the scenes that that you and I really wouldn't be fully privy to see because with the way U.S. soccer is currently, you know, you only really hear from a couple figurehead type people. Yeah, uh, be it the the national team coaches and the president here and there. So. So to say that, you know, he, he's just going to be a clone of Sunil Galati, I think is, is really far off. And and I spoke with Carlos Cadero yesterday, and, you know, he made that pretty clear. This wasn't taking shots at Sunil. I, I think people also really forget how far U.S. soccer has come in really a short time. People are angry right now. Nerves are frayed. Um, and, and just emotions are kind of have been stirred up to a point that I've never seen it before. And I think that's good. But I think in the midst of all this, people are losing sight of just how much good Sunil Gulati really did for U.S. soccer? You know how MLS was kept afloat at a time when it was, you know, it was given its last rites. Um, the, the fact that we now care this much about U.S. soccer, Bill, uh, I think is a testament that Sunil Gulati and company have done a lot of things right. Because you and I were talking the other day. I mean, it's not too long ago where I was dragging you to a soccer game. It's like, true, pulling you to Old Foxborough. And, you know, watching the game on the field was in, like, come on, man, just come. And you're like, no, man, there, there must be some type of Patriots, something hanging on. Or maybe the, the Celtics are doing a spring camp or whatever. You know, I was dragging you. And now, and now, of course, being a parent and your daughter's so involved in it, you, you care. You care about it. And I, I think that's, that's a big sign that, that U.S. soccer has grown. Cordero's got a lot of good ideas. He knows a lot of things that are wrong. And, and some of the things think you and I will touch on in a second are are things that bother you, you know, with the youth system and, and what's going on uh, with with the pros and our men's national team and our women's national team and um, there's a lot of stuff going on, but he's got a lot of um, he's got a lot of I don't know if it's answers, but he's got a lot of plans of action, uh, and we're only what about 48 hours into this, and and the biggest one is making sure that the North American joint bid to host the 2026 World Cup uh, is successful. And I know there are some people out there who got all bent out of shape about it. Like, why is that the most important thing? Well, it's important because it's immediate. Um, you know, the the final bid is due within weeks. Um, Canada, Mexico and U.S. have to continue to to strengthen this? Because there's a political climate out there that I think is impacting uh, this potential vote. But that is a is a pure moneymaker, and people may get upset, Bill, saying like, I want our teams to be better on the field. Well. Guess how you get better on the field?
2: You yeah. have more money
1: to spend, right? And you have more money not just to spend on that team in sexy new uniforms and let's play in bigger stadiums and let's have more marketing, but now you have more money to spend on the grassroots and more money to spend on on coaching and scouting and all the things that go into having this quote-unquote successful team, this 1% of U.S. soccer that you see every year four years for a Men's World Cup, and Arborist four years for a Women's World Cup. As you know, there's so much more that goes involved into it. And 2026 World Cup in the United States as part of a joint bid with Mexico and Canada is a money-making machine um, for U.S. soccer, uh, for soccer, you know, just in parentheses, in general in the United States because the commercial interest is going to be absolutely, absolutely off the charts. So that's kind of priority number one, that he wants to get this budget Cranked up, like doubled, like to the point where England and Germany, uh, that we're competing dollar for dollar with them because right now, as big of a country as we are compared to England and Germany, we're getting tremendously outspent by their soccer federation.
0: It's and that's like a quick win for him, too. It,
1: I, I, and and he's a business guy, right? Yeah, and you know, the Golden Sachs background, and 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 another thing I think people get really bent out of shape about is this, like. It's a business guy. Well, it is a business. You know, I, I know it says it's a nonprofit, but you're kidding yourself if you don't think U.S. soccer is a business. Uh, they want to be in the business of making money, of being profitable, of furthering the growth of this sport, and, and obviously getting to a World Cup. In, and I love the fact that we expect our men's team to get to a World Cup. And when we don't, it's an abysmal f- failure. And people are angry and ready to, you know, burn down soccer fields. Uh, in the name of, you know, let's get us back and how come we can't be as good as Germany? Yes.
0: I thought Kathy Carter was going to win. I, and I read a lot about this election over the last couple of weeks. I was, I was, it was kind of compelling, actually, some of the coverage. It it, seemed, was. it seems like the two things that killed her, one was that, uh, as you said, Cordero, he ran for uh, the presidency before Sunil stepped down, which was a clear break. Um, and a clear way for him to say, I'm not this guy's puppet. Now, if exactly. if Sean Fantasy, the Ringer editor-in-chief, ran for my job before we had talked about it, I would have him murdered. So I, c- I can only right. imagine how Sunil Gulati felt. Uh, but yeah, that was a pretty aggressive move. And then the other thing that I think, you know, reading about the election and how freaking crazy it is where you have these, you know, the players count for 24.5% and this counts for this. And the fact that it doesn't seem like she had the players vote because uh, the women's team didn't feel like she was in their corner the last 10 years. And that seemed like a real thing. And that's crazy to think that the only female candidate didn't have the support of the women's team, but that it seems like that's what happened. What'd you hear about that?
1: Well, there, there were two female candidates. Hope Solo was also. Oh, I forget. Wow.
0: But nobody thought Hope Solo was going to win. There were, there were four candidates that actually had a chance.
1: I, I agree um all right a couple quick points on that kathy carter and, and you know her and i've met her is a incredibly intelligent compassionate um executive uh she played the game at a high level she's a she's a really good person and she's done a ton for the growth of this sport in our country and i, and I hope she will continue to do that Me too. Uh, as, she, as she you know transitions back back to her job and you know what i i hope she continues down the road, as, as I hope to see with a lot of these candidates, that they remain involved, that they they still want this change, that they still want to be active. And this wasn't a, a three-month hurrah, and, boy, I, I hope I can go from, you know, whatever position I am into into U.S. soccer president. If you're legit about it, stick around. And I, I, I bet at the next cycle you're probably going to get some more votes and you're going to get some more recognition. recognition. So for Kathy, I don't think she was ever able to fully separate herself from the old establishment yeah carlos federo was inside USI. i mean he was he was as close to the old establishment as you could get with just a snapshot and and kathy wasn't that close but she got pegged as she was and she could never shake it however her and her people went about it she was unable to ever kind of shake that that thought concept with with some of the voters out there and i think that, yeah. that hurt uh as far as you know the athletes' council, which really is is a big talking point because, um, you know, for years and years, people in soccer have been saying the athletes don't have enough voice. You know, we're we're being run by all these people who are forcing these these minimal salaries upon them and, and these requests for marketing and you know you guys are being put in smaller hotels when other nations are in bigger hotels and the travel this and that. Well, finally, the, the athletes, the players, are having a word and, and are having a say and. I think that's why they came together, at Bill, and said, let's do this as a block vote. Let's not have our, our power, our 20 percent of this vote, our power be splintered. Let's come together and see if there is a candidate that we can all come behind. And, and I spoke with Stu Holden yesterday, who's kind of become this mouthpiece. And, and look, he's a longtime friend. He's a work colleague of mine as well. And he said, you know, we, we came together and we all kind of voted you know, like, hey, let's just see where we sit right now.
2: Yeah. And, you know,
1: one, you know, here's your number one, here's your number two. And and basically it was clear from just that initial first vote that there were, you know, two to three candidates that had a majority of everybody's uh, weight behind them. And they said, all right, this is interesting. And eventually as the process went through, they kind of came to this conclusion of Let, let's have one strong vote if there is this one person that, we either is our number one or we could get behind as, all right, you know what? That, that would have been my backup or that would have been my third pick, but I'm still good with it. Um, you know, we've all had those, right? I've, I've had people, I'm like, Hey, I'm good either, either way with this cat. But if it's the third one, no, thank you. Um, so I think the athlete said, let's, let's have a strong word. And it came behind Cordero and Kathy Carter was right there. She was second place in the athlete's mind as well. So, uh, you know, Kathy ran um, a good campaign, but not good enough. And, and I think her message got a little bit lost.
0: Yeah. I mean, she lost, she lost the players that, that when you read the election, they did like three different ballots. And the one that was up in the air was the 24, whatever percent of the players. And once they swung to Cordera, there was a wrap. That was it. Yeah. Um, Swung the
1: vote. I mean, they they were Ohio, right? They were the Midwest. They were, they were the states that that you had to win that were either blue or red. And I don't know what they are. And and
2: the
0: Athlete's Council went with Cordero. So the one the one thing, uh, the Cordero thing worries me for a variety of reasons. And, you know, I, I guess the shame of it is that there wasn't that one fresh voice that we could point to and be like, okay, that person has no baggage. They're just going to come in and they're going to do the things I want them to do, which makes it like every other election we've ever had in this country. But um, the one thing that he's pretty passionate about, he came from Miami, came from a poor background. Um, he's obviously, uh, he's, he's a minority and he's really passionate about how do we get more people playing soccer? How do we take care of, uh, lower class players? How do we take care of poor kids, disadvantaged kids? How do we get them the same coaching? This is something that I'm really passionate about because it's one of the reasons we started, uh, my daughter's club team with, uh, with our coach, Jacob Tadella, that we 33% scholarship kids on the, on, uh, on my daughter's team. And we just, it's, it's not something that's very common. And what's happening is the higher you go in youth soccer, at some point you got to fork up, you know, 3000 bucks for scholarships, jerseys, referee fees, tournament fees. Sometimes it could be 3,500 bucks. Some people don't have it. And he seems pretty committed to pouring money into youth soccer and making it so that it's not a haves versus have-nots situation. You talked to him. Did he talk about that?
1: Oh, yeah. That that and coaching, which are, are kind of hand-in-hand in, hand yes. in, in this conversation, uh, were one of the first things that came up. and uh, it, it it brought up an analogy to me. Do you remember um, the elections a couple of years ago for, uh, I think it was mayor of Manhattan? Yeah. and and they had um, they had the the, um, the debate, and there was that one guy with the fantastic mustache and facial hair, and his whole platform was the rent's too damn high, right? <laughs> the rent right. is too damn high, and <laughs> I can't get enough of the rent is too damn high guy. Well, guess what? You know there are elements of soccer in this country that are just too damn high, and and getting your coaching license is too damn expensive, and, and coaches will tell you that, and, and Carlos said that to me as well you know to get your your A coaching license which is you know the top level it's essentially $5000 you got to take time off you got to travel uh if you go to germany uh it's 600 euros under $1000 so so why is it five maybe even sometimes six times more expensive to be a premier coach just to get that piece of paper that license in america than germany
0: and and by and the way maybe, you left that, out that's, that's you, wrong you left out that it takes years years to yeah, get it's not it like
1: you just show up to get your a coach um you know there is a provision you know former national team players are allowed to jump several levels i can't remember if they're allowed to go right to the b level or to the b testing level um but there is something like that to encourage hey former players let's stay in coaching you already have a lot of knowledge and experience let's make it easier for you so, so that is an intelligent move but but the cost is is too much and and they realize that and and they need they know they need to subsidize this more and and it kind of goes back to that budget you know that they just don't have enough money to 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 provide this growth and this investment in in the grassroots so they know that they need to they need to load up well that's uh, they need to get they need to amplify their budget you know several times more than where it is right now so that they can start helping not just coaching but but the grassroots and, and that's your point, you know, these underserved communities that maybe don't even fall under the U.S. soccer umbrella, they're saying, why, you know, like, why, why are, these, you know, I don't know, He gave me this great example of Idaho, right? And there's all these soccer pockets in, in Idaho, which is just, it really warms my heart that you think of Idaho now, and you can say, hell yeah, there's good soccer there, uh, and, and there's passionate play, and there's kids that want to go, and, and parents that want to coach, um, but they don't. Some of them don't fall under the U.S. soccer umbrella. And he said, "Why?" And it's because it's too damn expensive. Yeah. And so they want to find ways to subsidize these clubs to make it easier, so they don't have to pay all these things. Look, when you're traveling to Vegas or Phoenix or or L.A. or wherever the heck hell you're going for these soccer tournaments, look, some of that's going to be you're going to have to eat some of that, right? We, we as parents understand that, um, but there needs to be a way to make that more palatable by maybe lowering your registration fees or taking your registration fees, um, and putting it almost like in a pool and letting that pool grow. Um, wait, hold on. It gets, it gets so
0: much seedier than that, because they'll do like the three day weekends where your team only plays like, yeah, they, because they, they're all in business with the hotels. It's, it's basically a money machine. They almost need, my recommendation for him would be there almost needs to be, a commissioner of youth soccer that looks out for this stuff because not only are you talking about they can't find enough coaches, they can't take care of poor kids. There's a huge disparity between, you know, the state, the top five states with soccer, like the 25th best team in California, Southern California, would be the best team in Indiana. That doesn't make any sense. And then on top of it, um, the, the, uh, the disparity between men and women, or boys and girls, I should say, but there's a lot of resources, all the scholarship slash coaching, whatever extra stuff, finding fields in big cities, stuff like that, that stuff always skews toward the boys. That's the biggest reason we started our club, because the girls are treated like second-class citizens in California. They get shitty fields.
1: I haven't personally seen that. I've, I've got girls, that they, they don't play soccer right now. I, I, I back you up on how difficult it is to find fields. Uh, I mean, fields, I, coaching, I like um, fields resources,
0: to on, but yeah, you see it oh, like,
1: you know, I mean, look, I grew up spoiled in, in, in Connecticut like you did. Right. Yeah. And I had no idea of the soccer struggles out there. You know, I had full fields when I was a kid, you like, if I had to practice, we were practicing on a full field and I'm talking as, you know, as a fifth grader, a sixth grader, seventh, eighth grader, right. My son goes to, to training and, and he plays with the LA galaxy team. And it's like three teams on three quarters of a field, and there's no goals to be seen. And and that's fine. You don't always need a goal. You don't always need all the space. And, you know, and sometimes you need less space to become a better player, to be honest. But sometimes it's nice to kind of let the horses run, right, and, and let the legs go, and you guys got some space, and it's so hard. And I mean, I think that's an L.A. thing. Um, and no, but it's, going out, it's you know,
0: all over the place, you know, though, because, like, New York, once it gets to the winter, you're trying to find, like, gyms and – yeah, weird places. Bubbles, right?
1: Yeah, you're, you're going to the tennis courts or something, and but at least they're playing, and at least they're looking for those, you know, alternatives. But you know, you're right. Look, there's so much talent here in in California, and and you can say the same in Florida, and Texas, and Arizona. Guess what? It's the same thing. It's yep. the same thing for baseball. It's the same thing for football. You know, the, those outdoor sports. You know, you're just gonna out of numbers, out of sheer numbers, and the fact that they can play year round outside. You're gonna have more talent traditionally coming to those to those areas. But he, he recognizes this. We all do. You know, this is something that like punches you in the head, though. This is obvious. This is, you know, this is there's no grace to this one. And, you know, they've got the board of directors and they've got people underneath it that, you know, are that this falls under their umbrella. And I think right now, everybody realizes that more focus, more money needs to be spent on solving that problem. There's not a magic bullet out there where you just go, well, of course, let me just write a paycheck to this guy. But, you know, it's also getting corporate I- involvement and, and commercial interest involved. You know, let, let's get, I don't know, name a company and say, hey, guess what? You're our new U.S. You, you three companies are in charge of U.S. youth soccer right. uh, and funding it. And how, how can we do it? What, what, what's going to make it? Let's have let's have you guys host this tournament in St. Louis. You guys host this one in Texas. You guys host this one in in Phoenix. And let's. Let's find a way to bring, you know, some of these underprivileged clubs to an underprivileged club tournament, you know, where people can actually see and say, holy cow, there's some great talent out here with a little more coaching or a little more seasoning. Boom. And it, it,
0: it's, so wait, so it, we're... It, it's
1: almost overwhelming. Like, I'm breathing in a bag sometimes, you know, because of how vast our country is and how many kids are playing it and how many people really care about it now, uh, which, was, which really wasn't the case not too far uh, not too far ago.
0: Last question. Where does the money come from? Sponsors? How, yeah. how does he plan on well, raising he it? He's got the business background. Where do we get more money to throw into youth soccer? Cause I feel like you got to get
1: more commercial interest. It's ha- got you have to get more commercial interest. And I think a lot of that tied in with world cup 2026. So if you've got this great, uh, shiny unicorn lurking out there in 2026 that you can kind of continue to push these commercial entities towards say, look, you're going to want to be a part of this now. Because yeah. It come 2026, this thing is going to blow the roof off. I think that's why he's saying this is such a priority. And obviously, because it's time sensitive as well. I, I think that serves as a massive, massive launch pad. And look, we're going to find out, Phil. Uh, what date is it? June 13th. Wednesday, June 13th is the FIFA Congress. It's the day before the World Cup starts, the Men's World Cup starts this summer, where we will find out if it's going to be this North American joint bid uh, or Morocco. To host the 2026 World Cup. It's either going to be a, a, a fantastic way to start off the World Cup, or it's going to be an absolute soccer punch uh, to American and North American soccer fans if the World Cup isn't coming our way in 2026.
0: So, uh, last question, 30 seconds. Explain why America is actually going to care about the World Cup. You have 30 seconds. Uh,
1: this one going to care about it because it's it, it's the biggest, best sporting event on the planet right now. I don't care what you say about. Olympics. And if there's one country that can handle their home country not being in the World Cup, it's the melting pot of the United States. I have people in my little pony town in Manhattan Beach that can't wait to see what Spain's going to do. And talking already about Germany and England, and yes, they hurt deep inside that the U.S. isn't there, but they still have these ties, uh, some patriotic ties to these other countries. Plus, it's just such a great event to watch. And once you get hooked, you're not leaving the World Cup, whether your country's in it or not.
0: Yeah, and by the way, we know these it's stars
1: over deliver. It's absolutely. I, I agree with it because we know because people have lowered the bar so much.
0: But we know the stars better than we did four years ago. We know who people know who Suarez is, and pe- people are on Bill, Bill, he's not just a biter.
1: We're Messi, Ronaldo, Neymar are yeah fine, and they're all going to be at the World Cup. I mean, why would you? I'm in. How many Olympians did you know? Uh, starting, I don't know, a week ago, right? <laughs> we and three. you start pumping the profiles and you're going to see these the best in the world, yeah, you're going to go
0: watch. By the way, I know we don't have a team. That This is why God created gambling. That's all I'm going to say. There's going to be odds on every I team. Pick right. one and you have a country for two weeks. Rob Stone, we have to go. I love you. I'll talk to you soon.
1: I love you
0: more. All right. For over 30 years, Just for Men has created easy, great care solutions for men. And now... Just for Men is providing a hair regrowth solution as well, formulated with the number one dermatologist recommended ingredient proven to grow hair, regrow hair, 5% minoxidil. Hair regrowth from Just for Men is an easy to use topical solution that's clinically proven to help regrow hair. It reactivates hair follicles to stimulate regrowth. Perfect for men with thinning hair. Plus with a unique precision spray applicator, This is Hair Regrowth made easy. Simply spray in, sit back, move on, start winning over thinning. Look for one and three month supplies of Hair Regrowth in the shave aisle or just visit HairRegrowth.com and use promo code REGROWTH2525 to get 25% off your purchase. That's HairRegrowth.com and use promo code REGROWTH25 for 25% off. All right, on the line, our Winter Olympics correspondent, Jack O. How are you, buddy?
3: Good, good, my friend. How are you?
0: Not a lot of people in my life are watching the Winter Olympics right now. (laughs) Really? And that's when I turn to my college roommate, my friend of 30 years, and the last man on earth who actually cares about the Winter Olympics, (laughs) Jack O. What have you been watching? (laughs) I guess as a child of the Cold War, you know, I
3: still have a little pang for the Olympics that okay. uh, harkens back to the old days when we would go up against the Soviet Union. So, um, yeah, I've, I've watched probably an inordinate amount of Olympics compared to your average uh, average person, I suppose. My My kids are at an age where they're into it, and it's, you know, my daughter, especially my younger daughter, who's six and change, I don't know if she picked it up at school or what, but she was all gung-ho to watch the opening ceremonies, and she's been gung-ho to watch the Olympics. So... Saturday was a rainy day when my wife took my older daughter off to soccer. My younger daughter and I watched a ridiculous amount of Olympics
0: and and crazy sports that obviously I would normally have zero interest in. Give me some highlights.
3: Well, (laughs) like, I've watched way too much curling. Over the weekend they show a lot of curling and Uh, No disrespect to curlers intended, but I think if it's it's an activity you can do while drinking a beer, it should not be an Olympic sport. Right. And and you could totally, like, drink a beer while you're curling the stone and sliding it down the ice. You know, I understand there's strategy involved and and some degree of skill, I guess. But, like, uh, you know, they have mixed doubles curling now. And I was saying to my wife, like, I've never curled in my life, and I feel like she and I could start training for 2022 in Beijing.
0: Would you, actually thought would of you use, please? Like, Can you do that for us?
3: <laughs> actually, and curling would be so right up your alley because you're, I've participated in any number of bar sports with you, like shuffleboard and your competitive nature and your strategy and your, your competitiveness. You would totally, totally get into that. Um, See, I think this is a perfect thing for the ringer. I think this should be, you should start now training for 2022 in Beijing to represent the US of A in curling.
0: I'm glad you can vouch for me on this, because I, you know, the audience doesn't know. I don't brag right. about it. It's not something, right. you know. I'll talk about it when it comes up. But I am one of the great uh, non-moving athletes of all time. One right. of the great Curling hand-eye perfect coordinations, perfect hand-eye coordination, and alcohol are are the only right. two things involved. I'm your guy. I'm the I'm I'm the person you want for whatever.
3: And I guarantee, like I watched some, they had some feature about this brother and sister team that represented us. Poorly, I might add, in mixed doubles curling, and they they grew up in Wisconsin and they have like curling clubs.
2: So you mm. know, like if
3: I if I lived in Wisconsin or grew up in Wisconsin, I would totally be a, I would totally frequent the curling club and go down and hoist a few beers <laughs> and slide a few stones. I would totally be down for that.
0: I'm surprised we didn't think to do that in college.
3: I know it's disappointing. Like Worcester should have a curling club. There should be like a Holy Cross curling club, is what should really develop from this Olympic
0: experience. Or, cur- or the, the, the campus on the hill in Worcester College <laughs> exactly. Curling right. Club.
3: So it's not to offend anybody. Yeah. What else, what
0: then, uh, what else do you have? So you got curling well, you loved.
3: Yeah. Then you, know, you have the snowboarding. And the mm. snowboarding is phenomenal to watch. And they make it look easy. And obviously it's impossible. But I mean, when you watch these kids, and they're all kids that do it, I mean, you can literally smell the weed like coming through your TV. So I totally respect that, because you couldn't have more of a stoner sport than snowboarding. And you know, sometimes they'll take their helmet off and their iPod buds pop out, so they're like listening to some tunage while they're snowboarding. I, yeah. I love that sport. You get Olympic medal for that. And I, I'm convinced
0: that they get, put these sports in the Olympics so the U.S. could win more medals. No like, question.
3: Who else could possibly be good at this? I know there's other countries that compete. Canada's decent, but I mean that that's a tailor made for the U.S.
0: Yeah. I'm with you. And, it's amazing and, video games haven't become a sport.
3: It's true. Well that's that'll probably be in the next one. Eventually they'll have esports. And you know, the Winter Olympics, unlike the Summer Olympics, somebody pointed this out on Twitter, but I, I had this a similar thought. Like it's hard for NBC to do these soft profile soft focus profiles because there's not really that many, like, hard luck stories coming out of the Winter Olympics because these kids that are snowboarders, it's like, you know, he, they had the smallest house in Aspen. It was a lot for him to overcome, you know, because <laughs> they could have so much money to be involved in, like, skiing or snowboarding. So it's not like, you know, a
0: scrabble existence and you really can't, like, milk these heartstrings for these stories, you know? Yeah, Bobby almost quit snowboarding after he lost his weed connection when he was 15. <laughs> exactly. Couldn't find it anywhere in this neighborhood, and then he met John. And yeah, then,
3: and then I watched the ridiculous amount of luge, and and luge fascinates me on so many different levels because I'm like, you know, this American guy won a silver medal, and it's the first ever like singles luge medal that we've earned. Yeah, and you know, basically, I'm like, how does one become like a luger in America? Like, how do you get into luge? And I guess you basically have to grow up in Lake Placid or Salt Lake now, where there's like an Olympic complex and you watch the Olympics and you're like, I'd like to try that. And you start lugeing because they have like these outfits and these boots. And I'm like, where, where do you go? Like if my kid wants to play basketball or soccer, I can go buy basketball shoes or, or soccer cleats. But like, where do I go get like a luge outfit? Like, how do you get into luge? How do you pick that up?
0: I was actually thinking the funniest SNL sketch of the year, which, which wouldn't be a hard bar to climb with some of the shows <laughs> they've had, but right. it should be somebody who's a lugeer and he just won the silver. But, you know those pants that they wear? The guy just has like an eighteen-inch cock, and it's just, it's just like, and everyone at the party is trying to pretend that they're not just completely horrified by this guy. But like those pants are just you see everything. It's really and plus they're lying yeah, in their yeah. back with their crotch coming at you. Yeah. It's it's kind of terrifying.
3: <laughs> Some uncomfortable camera angles, no question about it. I watch. And the, you know, the, uh, Europeans are into it. Like the Germans are great at luge. Yeah and there you know the guy who's like the luge commentator who i guess was a former luge former luger and he, you know he goes on the the world cup circuit so that you know they have the olympics but they also have events leading up to the olympics over the course of a year or years so he like follows this obviously and you know he has it down to like the micro degree of of you know where the line should be and how you control it and it looks like you're just you know careening out of control but there is some semblance of strategy and control to it. It's just insane to me. They go like 85 miles an hour. I mean, on your back on ice—that's craziness.
0: I watched that yesterday when the guy who had the lead, he screwed up his last ride, and it won right. the it won the gold for somebody else. And it went from this guy was going to win the gold to he screwed up going around this one turn, and right. it, what well, it did not medal? But he was going around. I have no idea what's happening, but the announcers understand every turn. They're like, "Oh, made it through turn five. Oh, great. in turn six. Exactly. And then he hit turn 12 and his sled hit the side. And it was like a nudge. Like you and I would barely notice it and we'd think it was fine. Right. And these guys were like, oh, what a mistake. Oh! <laughs> and it was like, he just barely grades the side. And this is the difference between the gold and fourth place for this guy. That's when well, the Olympics I, I, are really fun.
3: I watched the thing today and it was the women's luge and it was the, an American. And they said she had a great first run and said she was really beating herself up after her second run. So then they showed her times and her first run was, was 46.5 seconds. Yeah. And then her second run was 46.9. She's like, goes, it's like hitting herself in the head. Cause she was four tenths of a second, half a second slower.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Come on, get your shit together. I like the pairs the pairs figure skating. I like trying to figure out one if they've ever had sex and then two how many times before they decided to just be friends or three if it was never on the table for one reason or another. It's cuz there's a couple where they clearly there's some cutting edge potential. Right. Where they just long hours they started out hating each other but then, you know, in the hotel room one night
3: fascinated me about ice skating like wh- how, you know how do they decide if you or do, how does one decide if you're going to be a pairs figure skater or an ice dancer uh, I, Paris, don't know. I guess there's more there's more like jumping and things right you have like they throw you and there's jumps and so maybe they're like mm, maybe ice dancing's good for you, you like,
0: tate, can't land your jumps maybe tate, tate you know? do you know the answer to that one how do they decide tate
4: i don't know i can look it up it's, i can figure it out choice? i think it's personal choice
0: tate would you rather be a pair skater or an ice dancer I
3: thought those were
4: going to be two no's for me.
0: <laughs> Tate's out.
3: And, you know, and they, so they've had this team competition now because I think ice skating is really like a humongous, figure skating is a humongous seller on the Olympics.
2: Yeah. Because
3: I think it, you know, brings in females that are, are not a normal sports demographic necessarily. So they, and ever since the Nancy Kerrigan, Tony Harding thing, like, oh, like yeah. you know, figure skating, you can't get enough of that. So now they've added this team competition that never existed before. So they
0: have... Mm. It's like the top ten teams, and if you come in first, you get ten points, and if you come in
3: tenth, you get one point. They add all the all the points together for the different, like, men's, women's, pairs, dance, whatever. So that was the only thing that was on the other night, and I'm watching it, and they had a pairs team from China, and the Chinese guy was the biggest, the, the male portion of the figure skating pair was the biggest figure skater I've ever seen in my life. This guy could have played, like, defensive line for the Raiders. He was so big. This big hulking guy on figure skates was just fascinating to me. I'm like, I need more of this humongous Chinese guy that's probably on every steroid there is. And then I'm like, he's going to toss his his pair, you know, his co-competitor whatever, whatever they call the other half of the pair. He's going to toss her and she's going to hit the ceiling. Because this guy can bench like 700 pounds. He's going to throw her. Like That's going to be a deduction because she hit the ceiling on the throw. It's, it's like
0: the, the Olympics has come to life. <laughs>
3: this, guy, this guy was <laughs> such a monster. I was like, my God, look at the size of that guy. I couldn't believe it. I also love rare for the figure skating world. I think.
0: Yeah, there are some f- other fun stuff with the Winter Olympics, like the the announcers that get assigned to the thing. Where it's like one of them was Terry Gannon, who's like a college basketball guy, <laughs> right? And it's like, all right, we're here with the uh, the mixed snowboarder or whatever, and it's like, how do how did Terry Gannon get involved in this? It was pretty funny. Yeah, they
3: have. Uh, there's a- Guy that normally does like NFL and he was doing like the like the luge. He was like the uh the sideline reporter for the
0: luge. Yeah, when do you start preparing you know? for that? It's like seven I weeks know. ago. It's like Bob, do you start preparing for your luge sideline reporting yet? Yeah, I because just started have, going on the websites. Uh
3: you have the analyst who's like a former luger or a former snowboarder and this is their entire life. Like they they spend, you know, all their time in Europe and they're going on the World Cup circuit. Yeah. And um and doing everything, and so they they like live and breathe this stuff. But when you have the casual announcer who just parachutes in from, like you say, college basketball or football or whatever, yeah, it's it's insanity. Like you're right. How do you start? How do you start picking up on luge terminology?
0: I also like that Costas just refused to basically refused to go. He's, yeah, that's they've crazy. been diplomatic like, about it, but he's he didn't want to go.
3: He was like the modern day Jim McKay. I, I know he's going to be like the face of the Olympics. You can't beg off of that. Mike Mike Tarico.
0: Mike Tarico's like Bob. You've had such a good run. I just don't think you should go to this one. (laughs) Go out on top, Bob.
3: Although you know it might have been a good call by Costas because it seems like this Olympics is it's like forty below. Like they've had to cancel events because it's too cold and
0: too Too windy. Sounds awful. And the
3: snowboard, you know, the wind I felt really impacted the snowboard because these people would like jump off the second jump, and the wind would take them, and there was just no prayer to land it. Couldn't stick the landing. Couldn't stomp on it.
0: Have they had the the Have they had the ski jump yet? Is that what you're yeah, talking? Yeah, I watched
3: some of that the other day. Yeah.
0: Yeah. See, I'll always watch that. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, it's good. But we grew up with the wide world of sports with the guy wiping out. So you're always kind of secretly <sighs> hoping. The poor guy from Yugoslavia. Oh my <laughs>
2: god!
3: <think> <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah. it's amazing that guy still walked after that. He lived. It's ama- amazing enough. So what's yeah, your the ski jumping is crazy. Like I couldn't even stand at the top of the ski jump. I know. I-, I would like wet myself. Let alone the notion of sliding down that. Like I do love that though because it's so cool to watch. Because like they're flying down the mountain, you know.
0: All right, before we go, your number one thing you're ready, you're most excited for a winter Olympics rest of the way.
3: (laughs) Well, I always like hockey, but that's not really a fun answer. So um, I like the bobsled too. I'm I'm gung ho for the bobsled. I like the
0: bobsled as well. Yeah. I'm gung ho
3: for that. So I don't know if they have the same luge guy like the same slider guy. That's what they call it. He's like, he's a good slider. That's that's the term for a loser. They don't go with loser, they go with slider. And then I think there's a thing called skeleton, which is like luge. But you go head first instead of feet first.
0: Hmm, that sounds safe.
3: <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> <laughs> it's like luge isn't quite crazy enough for you to go down eighty-five miles an hour feet first. Let's try it head first. That's Ta- another one. How does one get like decide to become a lugeer versus the skeletoner?
0: I, it's these are all great questions. Listen,
3: <laughs> you know, Bob, we think a skeleton's better for you. Than luge. we yeah, feel like you should go face
0: first. Into not the walls not sure the he has first. the leg symmetry for luge. <laughs> <laughs> Take notes, and we're going to come back. You're our Winter Olympics correspondent. Before we go, though, I, I came up with a nickname because we're, we're dangerously close to spring training now. Oh, boy. There we go. I have a nickname for Stanton and Judge. Oh,
3: yeah? What's
0: that? I don't even think Tate knows this. Do you know my nickname? This season, I'll be calling them the Winklevoss Twins. <laughs> <laughs> That's my derisive nickname for the home run nirvana that you've stumbled into, the Winklevoss wow. Twins. I was watching wow. Social Network And I was watching Army Hammer play both parts and I was thinking he kind of looks like Stanton and Judge. So now I'm going with that now. (laughs) The Winklevai. That's it. Congrats on them. Congrats on having the Winklevoss twins on your team. Jacko, we'll talk to you soon. Thanks Thanks for the update. All right. All right. All right. Bye-bye. Quick break to talk about Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. They understand that home plays a big role in your life and family. That's why they created Rocket Mortgage. Rocket Mortgage gives you the confidence you need when it comes to buying a home or refinancing your existing home loan. Don't you want to fully understand all the details and be confident you're getting the right mortgage? Come on. Whether you're looking to buy your first home or your 10th with Rocket Mortgage, you get a transparent online process that gives you the confidence to make an informed decision. It's convenient. Their trusted partners allow you to share your financial information with Rocket Mortgage at the touch of a button. In addition to getting a real mortgage approval in minutes, you can even adjust the rate and length of your loan in real time to make sure you're getting the right solution for you. Apply simply, understand fully, mortgage confidently to get started. Go to rocketmortgage.com slash Bill Simmons, equal housing lender, licensed in all 50 states, nmlsconsumeraccess.org, number 3030. All right, on the phone right now, my dad, he he was gracious enough to take my son to Paul Pierce night last night. The Celtics were not gracious enough. They got their asses kicked and- I, it didn't put a pall over the night, but it would have been nice if the game was better. Uh, first question. Did you think at, at any point from 1999 to 2006, first seven years of Pierce's career, did you did you give up on that night ever happening?
5: Um, yes, but maybe not for the reason you think. Um I, I thought he would have a career that merited getting his number put up there, but I really thought uh, he wasn't going to stay with the Celtics. And I still don't think he would have stayed if they hadn't made that trade that brought in Garnett and Ray and uh, Ray Allen. Yeah, and the team was the team was so bad, and he was really frustrated. and And as you remember, he was having he had a couple of issues in the city of Boston. Team was terrible. There was no light at the end of the tunnel, and uh, and I think actually, I, I, it's not that I think Doc Rivers mentioned it in his speech last night. He said that Paul had made it clear to him that if the Celtics couldn't turn things around, that maybe he needed to be a winner somewhere else. That's exactly how Doc uh, Rivers uh, phrased it last night.
0: Yeah, so, I, I hope for that
5: you... reason. I, I yeah.
0: I hope you cheered extra loud for Doc Rivers last night since he left and that got us Brad Stevens He's standing up for Doc. Uh yeah, if you remember the Celtics, I think it was the 05 draft, Chris Paul. They had a deal for for the pick that would have gotten them Chris Paul. They were going to send Paul Pierce to Portland and I think with I think it was Paul Pierce for the number 3 in, in somebody's contract. And Paul Pierce caught wind of it and he, and he basically blocked it. And he told Portland, um, he let, he let it be known through his agents. Like if you send me to Portland, I'm going to sabotage the situation. At that time, Portland was coming off like the whole jailblazers era. They'd gotten rid of Rashid Wallace. They were a mess and he just didn't what want to go mess. there. Um, it's right. a great what if though, because they definitely, absolutely hundred percent would have taken Chris Paul. And you know may, maybe they don't win the 2008 title at that point, but yeah, that he came back the year after. Remember that 05 playoffs? He took his, he got he got kicked out of that Indiana game. Um, the, he really got skewered by the Boston media, and he was like, he just doesn't get it. He's not a great guy, all that stuff. And then he came back the following year and had just an incredible year, the 0506 season, where he yeah he he, he carried about us. It. He,
5: he he talked about it when you know he gave a. I read. I knew it was a long speech, and I read in the paper he spoke extemporaneously for 19 minutes, and he gave a beautiful speech. Yeah. You know, about you know how, uh, his upbringing with his two brothers by a single mom, who, and you and I had dinner with Paul and his single mom when he was a rookie. And uh, yeah, that's a nice right. Person, and remember, so um, but he talked a lot about how. Uh, the the first few years in Boston were difficult. He butted heads with Doc Rivers over and over again, and he had it. And then he had a sit down with Doc, and they actually both said the same thing. But he said he had a sit down with with Doc and thought more about uh, was it worth butting heads over and over, or was it time to be a leader, to be a team captain type person. And everything changed in that 2006 year, but I still say he might not have hung in here if they didn't make those trades because losing was really frustrating.
0: Yeah. Uh, that last year, yeah. the the year of the Duncan lottery, they basically shut him down. He could have come back. It's the only time he's ever really missed extended time in the first 15 years of his career. Because I think one of the great things about Pierce was how, you know, incredibly durable he was, but um, right, right. But yeah, I was living in Boston the first three plus years of his career, including his rookie season, which was the lockout season. Rick Pitino was there. Team was super unhappy. We were delighted to get him. I, I remember that was the second draft diary I ever did for my old website. And we were watching Paul Pierce drop, And right around like pick five, you and I are looking at each other and we're like, does he have a cocaine problem? Like, what's going on? We, we just didn't understand right, it. He was supposed right. to go in the top three. And at the time there was like no wireless internet and your TV room was next to the room where you had your like big ugly Apple computer. And I'm running in there between pics and and Googling to see Paul Pierce rumors to see if something was wrong with them. And he kept following and he kept following and we had both really wanted Dirk Nowitzki. We, right. we, by the way, we had there was no YouTube back then. We had no evidence other than there was a seven-foot German guy who could shoot and kind of reminded people of Larry Bird. We were like, this is well, you, great.
5: Well, you, you, there was a day you, you came to the house and you said, I need to show you this clip of this guy from Germany. And uh, what, what we couldn't tell was whether Nowitzki was playing against people who were five feet tall. Right. You know, when you see one of those, people
0: playing abroad. It was like Giannis. It was like the same yeah. thing where you're like, have no idea if he's going against 13-year-olds. Yeah. So right. we're kind of hoping either Nowitzki or Pierce, get, Pierce gets there. And then like around pick seven, somebody, I think Philly took Larry Hughes. Milwaukee took Trailer six. Philly took Larry right. Hughes seven. And it became clear we were going to get one of them. And then all of a sudden Sacramento took Jason Williams, I think, and then maybe Philly took Hughes eighth. And all of a sudden, Nowitzki and Pierce were still on the board at number nine. And we were out of our minds. This was like the first good, lucky thing that happened to the Celtics the entire decade. And uh, yeah. and then there's this two minutes where we were like, who do we want? And you're like, well, I've seen 34 seconds of Nowitzki. And and, and uh, <laughs> it's just funny how it worked out. But then that first year, he's playing with Pierce. It's the strike lockout season. Patino, everybody's miserable. He's on this really strange team. And then, uh, they end up firing Patino. Jim O'Brien ushers in like a very early prototype of the, everybody shoot threes era. And him and Antoine start getting a little something going and they definitely are young and they're shooting threes. They have a little swagger. And then he gets almost gets stabbed to death in Boston on my birthday. Um, and first we think he's going to die. He doesn't die. Then he comes back and is ready for the season, which he got stabbed like 17 times. So if anyone ever questioned his toughness, um, that was amazing. But I really do. I've written this. I really think that affected him because I think he rushed back. I think he had this traumatic experience, and I think it affected him. And I don't know if he really dealt with it. And it wasn't until that 05, 06 season that he kind of settled into who he became, which was – you know, a really durable, awesome herky jerky scorer who was a good two way player, and who ended up having this great stretch from oh five to two thousand twelve. Where do you put him? I had him seventh for Celtics. Where do you put him?
5: Yeah, I saw your list. Um, I actually agree with your list. I I'd put him seventh also. I looked at the six guys you put ahead of him, and I, I mean, maybe you could quibble with McHale and flip flop them six seven. Yeah, uh, but that's a, that's about the only move I could think of making on your list. Uh, so for the
0: people listening, I had uh, Russell one, Larry Bird two, Havlicek three, Koozie four, Sam Jones five, McHale six, and Pierce seven. The case against Pierce: three third team All NBAs, one second team All NBA, never made a top first team, ten All Star games, Finals MVP. 2008, outdueled LeBron in a game seven, and I was glad Danny talked about that jump ball because I thought that was the best play of Pierce's career. When
5: uh, yeah,
0: I I had in the
5: internet this morning, I watched it
0: again. Yeah, he kind of forgot about it. Yeah, it was well, he out-hustled LeBron, which was he was just kind of stronger and wanted it more. And I, I, I actually think that was kind of a seminal moment for LeBron. I think. You look at what what happened to his body from that season on. I think he doubled down on weight training, all that stuff, because Pierce well, just wanted I mean, more.
5: There's no doubt one of the top five games I've ever seen in my life in person was that game seven in Boston against Cleveland in that o, the 08, uh, second round. Um, it was Mano Mano. Uh, yeah, it was great. Your, your friend from ESPN, John Walsh, was there. Mm. We had a drink afterwards, and all he could talk about was how often do you see a duel like that—two superstars, uh, not not quite superstars yet, actually. Yeah, going mano mano, and uh, it was almost like whoever had the ball last, that team was going to win. And uh, I don't think I've seen that kind of back and forth since between two players. Well, uh, we saw in a we saw the like that.
0: We saw the best ever version of that, which was Dominique versus Larry, 1988.
5: Yeah, but it wasn't a Game 7. And it, and it, it wasn't a game that, that ended up winning the
0: championship. It was a Game 7. It was Game
5: 7. Was
0: it? Yeah. You're just, you're just old.
5: I'm old, yeah. Well,
0: No, but they, uh, they didn't win the championship that year. You're right. The difference with yeah, Pierce yeah, was well, that.
5: Yeah, I, I think that's why it doesn't stick with me. Um, we lose that Game 7. Obviously, we don't win the championship. And, and because... 2010, after the Perkins injury in game six. Yeah. I mean, that probably was a season I look back and it seems like we were going to win that year and we didn't win that year. So you take away 08 and Pierce never would have had a championship. So
0: yeah, that I liked- game
5: seven against Cleveland was pretty meaningful.
0: And the game four against the Lakers was great. He out with LeBron and Kobe in the same year, which is, you know, yep. you're talking about the third best player of all time and the eighth or ninth best player of all time. And he went toe to toe with them, which is pretty great. The, uh, the, the, I tweeted yesterday, something that I think is interesting about his career, that the era that he came up in versus the way they play basketball. Now he's kind of built for now. I know it's a, it's a hard, what if, and there's a million guys that you can do what ifs with, but his ability to shoot threes and get to the line and play multiple positions, And play that kind of wide open style was is just perfect for 2018. And a lot of I agree
5: with you. I I, I read your tweet. I mean, I saw your tweet.
0: It's too bad. uh,
5: His game, his game would have flourished even more. I I agree in this era where it's pretty wide open and seemingly there's less defense. Uh, There's more team defense, but less one on one defense. Yeah, rules are different too. You can't hand check the same way, right?
0: His his combination mm-hmm. of threes and free throws is what you want right now, I and mean, it's basically Houston's yeah. model for how they're ripping off all these wins. You've been—I'm yeah. trying to think of all the retirement things you've been to, because Havlicek I, was probably—I—I I think that was my—I know there had been others, but we went to Havlicek, we saw Cowens, we saw JoJo White and Dan and Don Nelson, we saw Mitchell McHale Bird, and Bird, McHale. yeah, Parish. Yeah. Reggie Lewis, who obviously wasn't there, Um, we saw. I don't think I saw Maxwell, and I still don't really totally understand why they did Maxwell DJ, and then Pierce. This was the first one in a long time.
5: Yeah the the number the the number previous on the banner they uh, lifted, and they actually gave all of us t shirts with a replica of that particular banner. The, uh, the number before his is Reggie Lewis is 35. Yeah. So I'm trying to think if that was the last retirement, it must've been the oh, way yeah. they on the uh, banner.
0: Uh, <laughs> I thought Maxwell was, but yeah. Um, I great think Ma- career. I think
5: Maxwell was the one be- before his, before Lewis's.
0: 15, um, 15 years, basically a 22, six and four every night. Really never missed games. Really good two way player. Uh, I thought it was a great career. I'm glad I was there, and I I, I got to admit those first couple years, I I was very worried that we would ever have that night. So it was nice to see it. Yeah,
5: you you saw almost his whole career, but there were some very funny and poignant speeches. Uh, I think it was Doc who talked about. Remember when he uh, that playoff game? Uh, we we thought he was done. His career was over. Yeah. And. Uh, he goes out in a wheelchair. I know. It comes then, back. Uh, oh my a God! A few minutes later, there's a buzz in the crowd, and he's miraculously he's walking out to the court, and he makes two threes in a row, and we win the I game. I know.
0: Listen, the Laker fans <laughs> remind me of that one all the time. I wrote a I wrote a column about that game. The the four minutes when he got hurt and went out, it really did. You you, and, it felt like two pre two thousand four Red Sox in the building. People were
5: f- well. You and I were together. and yeah. we Thought. I thought Our season was over.
0: I thought I had to carry you out.
5: Um, yeah, I was. I was ready for the big one. <laughs> uh,
0: <laughs> All right, Dad, uh, we're, All we right. got to run. Got a lot of people on today. Thanks for coming on.
5: Listen, I, I really enjoyed taking my grandson to uh, the game yesterday. I know he never saw Paul Pierce, and but I think it's a memory he'll always have. There's nothing like seeing a number go to the rafters.
0: He loved it, so, and he loved his autographed hat you gave him. So thank you. Okay. All right. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Hey, I want to talk about Gillette. I've been thinking about Gillette a lot lately because football's over. I don't get Gillette Stadium in my life, but I still have Gillette. I've been shaving since college. Guess what changed my life? I'll tell you what. The Gillette Fusion Ultra Sensitive Skin Shaving Gel. Recently, I started using the Gillette Fusion Pro Shield razor as well. And it's been great for me because my neck does not like razor blades or shaving cream. It's the first combination that's really enabled me to just, just shave without ravaging my neck. I ordered it. I ordered the razor. I got four refillable razors and free shipping, then every fourth order free because I subscribed. And now you can get Gillette Performance delivered to your door. No more getting mad at yourself because you just got back from the grocery store and you realize you forgot to buy blades. Those days are over. Subscribe today. Pick your favorite razor. Get every fourth order free. Visit Gillette online. Gillette on demand.com. All right. On the phone right now, he was supposed to call in earlier, but he had a, a tragic pothole accident. So now he's calling by cell phone. We said it was going to, it was going to sound nicer with the little studio thing. We're going to make it work on the cell phone. The host, uh, co-host of Kirk and Callahan morning show on WI. He's never been on this podcast before. I've always wanted to have him on. He's been described as a provocateur of the Boston uh, media scene. <laughs> And uh, there was some media stuff that happened last week and it just seemed like the perfect time for us to talk about all this stuff. But Kirk Minahan, I wanted to ask you first about Paul Pierce and everything that happened mm-hmm. yesterday. Um, did you ever, was there a point during the Paul Pierce experience where you thought to yourself, there's no way this guy gets his number retired? Uh,
4: uh It's hard with the Celtics because their standard is so weird. But I will say, when he put that thing on his face after losing to Indy, to the Pacers, I started saying, and if he got traded, like he did, now that's sort of the sneaky thing in the Pierce revisionist history now, is like, he did want to be traded. Like, he wanted to be traded. So if he went out right there, got traded, he would be looked at so differently. I mean, what Pierce ultimately got was, was a break because of the Garnett trade. I mean, that that trade changes the way we look at Pierce historically. I saw you had him, what, 6th or 7th all-time?
0: Yeah, 7th.
4: Man. I mean, he's not, I mean, you know, Collins, Collins won MVPs. Collins ahead of him. But, but yeah, it, but at that point in after the patient series, if you said to me, is his number going to be retired? I probably would have said yes, but that was the point where you said, eh. But after that, I mean, you know, it, it, it was a done deal.
0: Yeah. Collins is an interesting one. I think I might've not, I he think won i won MVPs.
4: Might... I mean, he won MVPs.
0: Yeah. I think I missed Collins. You know what I did? I looked at my pyramid. And I picked out the Celtics and the order that I had. I just went with, and I think I actually missed Cowens. Now I have to apologize to yeah, Dave Cowens. Yeah,
4: yeah. yeah, I mean, you know, uh, yeah, I mean, that's 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 a no brainer. But Pierce is right after that.
0: Yeah, so I had Pierce seven, and he should have been eighth. Because yeah, I think in my book I had Cowens ahead of Sam Jones and and McHale. So that was a screw up. Sorry, Dave Cowens. I think, I think
4: Collins is one. I think Cowens is sort of the great forgotten Boston athlete, like, in the last 30, 40, 50 years. Cowens, for some reason, I don't know why that that team that won a couple of championships, I think it's because it was between Russell and Bird, is totally, is never discussed historically in Boston. It's weird. They're sort of the one team that slipped through the cracks.
0: Yeah, and Cowens was done fairly fast. I think it was only, like, 10 years, and then he he had kind of pseudo-retired once, and then he was gone, and... I don't know. It's just, it's too bad because if he had stayed around for Bird for a couple years, you're right. He probably would have, he would have gotten a couple more rings, all that stuff. Um, yeah. I ask you this from, from time to time, because we'll DM each other every so often. I'm always yeah. fascinated. You're, you're in the grind. You're doing this four plus hour radio show every morning and you know, you're trying to hit the stuff that people in Boston, in the surrounding Boston area actually give a shit about. What is the hierarchy now of the teams? Because you told me during the Red Sox playoffs in in uh, last October, you were like, "People are on the Patriots." Like the Red Sox, it's fine, but it's Patriots right now. It's Patriots, Patriots, Patriots. What's the hierarchy right now with the four teams? I
4: would go number one, Patriots. Number two, Patriots rumors. (laughs) <laughs> Number three, any chance you get to bash a national writer who shits on the Patriots. Yeah. Number four, any chance you get to dump on ESPN, they bang on the Patriots. Uh, <laughs> five, I would say, right now, Celtics, uh, then Red Sox, then Bruins, I would say. The, Reds, the, the, the Red Sox, who are, by the way, on WEI all the time, they love when I say this. It never felt less relevant to me in my lifetime. Than they do as we're talking this afternoon. I mean, I know they've had a monster off season that's had the whole city cooking, <laughs> but it's, uh, it's 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 just you know baseball. Like, you know, you watch Jerry says this all the time. Jerry Callen, he's right. When you watch a game like Patriots Eagles, or you watch a game like Patriots Jaguars second half, or Patriots Steelers, and then you think about a, 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 a May game against the Twins, and you're just thinking, this is just this is just this is not even close to the same thing. Just the pressure of it. Yeah, it's so different And the way, and way that you know ESPN's gone against the Patriots and national people and the hatred for Belichick and Brady and Brady's own thing and Guerrero and McDaniel's and there's all this palace intrigue all the time. It's, it's there's 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 nothing. I've never seen uh, a team, and I grew up with Bird in the '80s. I saw the Red Sox win in '03. I've never seen a team that has the peak pop, peak popularity of the Patriots. The last say. I say the flake gate until right now. Ever in my life in Boston, nothing's even. I would say nothing's even close, except for the eighty Celtics. That's the only one up in the conversation.
0: You know, I think it, this is so weird to say because I hated the story more than anything, and I'm mad. I'm still mad that it happened. But I think the flake gate pushed the Patriots to another level locally because it really no turned it turned no into no no. us against them, Boston against everybody, and it kind of tied into. You know, one of the things that I love about Boston and the DNA of Boston is like fuck everybody. Dude, all we have is, is each other, and it just—it was like the perfect Boston sports story. And everybody was so resolute that you know, not only did this not happen, but everyone's against us, and that was it, man. I—I'm I, with you. I don't. It's not since the '80s Celtics. I would say the '80s Celtics, the uh, the the Ortiz Manny Red Sox oh three oh four. Yeah. And then this Patriots run are like the three great eras of just a team team city connection. Am I missing? Is there anyone else you would throw in?
4: No, not my life. And what's funny is this Patriots run is as long as those two put together. I mean, the, the, the Brady-Belichick run now, I mean, if you think of the Bird run is 79 to 87. Yeah. Really, essentially maybe 88. I mean, this run is twice as long now. It's twice as long. It's, it's, it's unbelievable. And you're right. You know, we got off the plane in Arizona to do the show right when Deflategate was happening. And for three months, it was insane. You show up for work. You know, we're on six in the morning. You show up for work before the show. And we would have full lines of phone calls and comments were basically, fuck Goodell. You know, fuck ESPN. Fuck, fuck. But, you know, it it was just anger. And it's anger that you don't see for, you know, even by East Coast standards for a couple of years. What's funny is Goodell, like... The Patriots won a week ago. Goodell was gone. Like Patriots fans feel like they won that war with Goodell, rightly or wrongly. Yeah, you know, having Goodell hand Brady the trophy last year was kind of that. You know, and by the way, Goodell probably really actually won the war. But they they've they moved on from from Goodell here, and are now sort of it's it's been a really weird uh, few weeks here in Patriotland, starting I think with Wickersham all the way to McDaniel's coming back, and everyone has a theory and everything. Brady's hand is just it's 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 insane.
0: You know, with the Red Sox, I think two things happen. One is that people. As just the the younger generations kind of grow up, they just don't care about baseball as much as our generation did. And then you know it's weird to say this, and I wouldn't I I wouldn't do anything differently. And I'm so glad it played out this way. But I think the three titles definitely didn't make baseball life or death anymore. If, if you're a Red Sox fan, you know it's just not. It's right. It's just. The, no, I it's agree. Just a fact. I
4: would even say like I was here. Right, thirteen. I think even as great as it was with what happened in the city that year, that didn't feel as big time. It was unexpected. It was kind of fluky. But, but I mean, you're right. Like we, you know, Jerry and I will look at our papers in the morning. You know, this morning, we have all the stuff going on, obviously. And you see this, uh, uh, the Jason Master now that the Boston Herald previewing the catcher position with Christian Vasquez. and you're like, this feels like a different fucking universe. what we <laughs> talk about every single day. Right. But tw- twenty five, thirty years ago you know, shows would do two or three hours on it. It's just, it's a generational shift that, that, is, that has happened. Guys, you know, I'd say younger than, I don't know, 35, 30, have just turned their back on baseball. I don't know what that means 30, 40 years from now, but that that is, at least in Boston, that's not even arguable. I mean, this is a, this is a complete football town now, 100%. We like when the Celtics are good, it's fun when the Bruins are rolling, but this is a Patriots town, 100%.
0: Yeah, and I... I was living there when it started with... uh, I've been a Pats fan my whole life, but Parcells, when it seemed like the team was going to leave and then Parcells saved the Pats. And you could feel all the seeds were planted with that generation from 93 to 97. And Pete Carroll comes in and most loaded team ever, all that stuff. Um, The great sports radio argument, I think of all time, is Brady versus Bledsoe in 01 as it was happening. I've never seen a more polarized... People on one side, people on the other side, nobody, no way to really prove the other side was right or wrong, just all gut instinct. And it was a bloodbath for three months. And it was really, it was, uh, it was actually, I gotta say, I, am obviously have, uh, have had issues with Boston media blowing shit out of proportion over the years. That was a great story. And that was, you know, the way it resolved itself was kind of amazing.
4: Where do you stand on that debate now? Have you changed? Or are you still Brady? Or <laughs> is anything so done the last year or two off the field? Is wine? Have you tried some of that wine? Has that changed your mind? Yeah, yeah, I'm, it's it's. Uh, I'm still it's, Brady Camp. Yeah, it's it's it's, it's it is it's, it's it's one of in one of those debates. Like if you pulled it at the time, it would have been 50-50 for a while. But it yeah. was funny. What you saw was it was an early interesting test case. It was the first time I started realizing. Oh wait a minute. Okay, obviously you have some guys. In the media, who are legitimately just Bledsoe guys because Bledsoe's nice. To them guys like Ron, guys like Cafardo, and that's the first time I realized. Oh wait a minute, these guys aren't actually saying what they think. Yeah, they're saying what their friends are telling it, What their friends are telling them to say. I mean, if you watch Tom Brady play football in 2001, and I liked Bledsoe; he's a tough guy, he's a good quarterback, brought legitimacy, all that. Brady did everything well that Bledsoe didn't do well. It was like this weird thing where you know. Brady had, had great presence. Brady had great patience. Brady didn't make throw dumb interceptions. Brady didn't force the ball to his tight end. But these Bledsoe guys, I think Bledsoe was a nice guy to some of them. Fed them stuff. They were blind and and Ron Borges, God love him, was almost like this. Yeah, people say this all the time. It's like these guys, you know, who still think World War II is going on. They're hiding like a tree <laughs> somewhere. Like he thought, like he was still like banging the Bledsoe drum like three years ago. And you're like, well, I mean, Ron, let's 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 move on from that. But you know.
0: Yeah, uh, I think
4: Bordis has bigger issues at this point to worry about the Drew Bledsoe versus Brady.
0: Yeah, we should talk about that in a second. I, I think you're yeah. right. This is something that I when I had my old website, this was stuff I was writing about where you could see people protecting certain sources they had. By the way, this is happening nationally. I would say it's the worst it's ever been, especially in the NBA, where Every NBA for sure. Yeah. Every star has their like one go-to reporter. Or every team has their one, and that's the person they leak stuff to. And um it's it's effective. You know, you saw it with Bledsoe. Oh, yeah, Brady I mean, was playing started, better yeah. than Bledsoe, and people were pushing for Bledsoe to get his job back. And then if you remember, nobody remembers what happened the next year when they went nine and seven. Cause I was still living there when the team didn't start out that well, and people were like, oh man, they never should trade traded Bledsoe. This is a disaster. Yeah. Brady's a flash in the pan. Right. Oh, my God. What did we do?
4: And Bledsoe had a good year. Bledsoe threw for, like, you know, he had a good year. He went to the Pro Bowl. He had a good year. But, I mean, but you see it now when like, you know, uh, John Heyman breaks report. He's like a Scott Forrest guy. I mean, you can you can, you can connect all these guys. But you're right. I remember, you know, reading you for the first time at, at Digital City. That's one of the things you would do. The other thing that you did that, that I would do with my friends, and this was your appeal, is you would shit on sports talk radio. You would shit on Nordway or you would shit it. on, um, I don't know. Sha- Shaughnessy. Yeah. You're yeah, right. You hated it, but you listen to it every day. Like we did. You hated it, but you listened to it because it was
0: the only thing around. Right. I mean, unless I'm wrong. No, it was, it was one of the, it's almost like an addiction. Well, I also think 20 years ago, yeah, 20 years ago, there were less af- outlets to even kind of know what people were thinking about sports, especially local sports. Right. And, We relied on EI and the two newspapers in such a big way. And they had just an unbelievable influence, you know? And it was really just those three entities. It was like the Boston Phoenix once a week. And now it's like, I think the biggest thing that's changed over the last 20 years since, since I, since I moved to LA is you basically have, you you have two full-time sports radio stations. You have, um, you still have the two papers, although I, I don't think they have the same influence than once did. But then you have the, maybe uh, no, not. Yeah, you have Nessun, and then you have that the uh, mm-hmm. CSN Boston, whatever the hell that they, they, they're on. Like from seven to twelve, I can't believe how much yeah. content there is, and it's becoming harder and harder to stand out. Which is, you know, going back to what you try to what you're trying to do for a living. You have four hours a day, and and what is the balance mm-hmm. of? trying to provoke people, trying to get attention versus trying to have good conversations? How's that? What's that balance like?
4: Well, you try and do both as much as you can, but you certainly are fighting for people to listen. I mean, especially now there's apps that can listen to whatever they want. Obviously, there's satellite, there's podcast, there's 5 million different things. But, you know, I think there's sort of this idea now, and, and, and I know it feels to me maybe it's in the middle of it, there's more stuff written about EEI uh, for a local sports station than all the stations put together in the country, whether on dead spin or Awful Announcing or these places. I, you know, I, I, It's like we sit around in the morning, Jerry Callahan and I, and say, okay, wh- what are we going to say today that's stupid and it's going to get people talking? But you find the topic that you're most passionate about, and you hope you hope you disagree on it. You, some shows, I think, say, okay, you're going to take this side, that you're going to take that side. To me, that never works. Yeah. Uh but what we do is we bring in a third person every day that usually disagrees with us That's what we call have somebody calling who disagrees with us and we bring disagreement. I, I don't I personally don't think and I think you and I might disagree on this, but when it comes to Sports talk Radio, I think you have to have some amplified version of yourself. You have to be connected to reality. But if you talk like Mike Greenberg and Mike Gola talked or Trey Wingo and Mike Gola talk in Boston, you're going to finish in forty first fucking place. They're <laughs> gonna be uh, adult contemporary stations in New Hampshire who literally beat you in the ratings in Boston. That is true. Beat yeah. ESPN Radio in Boston. I know you hate hearing that, but it, that, that is that, that is what goes <laughs> on. So, you know, it, it, it doesn't like, you know, Dan Patrick doesn't work in Boston. I, it's people like your show. It doesn't work in Boston. Colin Cowher doesn't work in Boston. Lebatard doesn't work in Boston. A, it has to be local in Boston for it to work. B, there has to be some whatever, you want to call it edge or whatever it is. There has to
0: be passion. There has to be disagreement. There just has to be. I remember so Sean McDonough when he challenged uh Ordway's show, like two thousand one, yeah, two thousand two. Yeah. I went on that show a bunch of times. And Sean, I remember, yeah. Sean was really adamant. I had no idea what I was doing, but Sean Sean was really adamant about we're gonna have, you know, we're gonna have discussions, we're gonna have interviews, we're gonna try to elevate the discourse and raise the bar. Right. Raise yeah, raising the bar. Um, guess what didn't yep. raise the ratings the, the ratings were no, no. not good now no. now the signal was terrible and we it it was never really a true test because they just weren't in enough places in a really strong with a strong signal in a strong enough way you couldn't really tell near the end they had Rosillo who was on here last week who was pretty clear early on was a talented guy and was headed for something mm-hmm. but they just weren't yep. able to challenge him and then you know, a few years later, the new station comes out—the one that has Felger as the drive time guy. And uh, yeah. what's it, ninety eight? What's the what's the actual number? I hear it on the internet. What's the number, 98.5? Yeah. Um, yeah. So now there's a yeah. challenger, and that kind of upped the stakes. Mm-hmm. But I was tweeting about it um, this weekend, and we, you know, I first of all I love when we disagree mm-hmm. on stuff. I was saying I thought nineteen ninety was the tipping point for when the Boston scene got super negative. And there's a couple of reasons for that. One was the Lisa Olson thing. It wasn't the incident itself as much as it led to this whole shit show between the Boston Globe and the Boston Herald and got super nasty and, you know, kind of a turning point for Will McDonough's career, who I thought was, was uh, you know, a, a really great guy to read growing up and all that. But he he was kind of nasty about Lisa Olson in ways that just were not flattering for him. But it that got nasty, right. and right that same year was when Curse of the Bambino came out, which you know, which set this legacy of just uh, the woe is me Red Sox fan and just bringing up bad stuff all the time, and it just started to get negative. That's ei I think kicked off when ninety ninety or ninety one, right yeah, yeah, and <laughs> yeah. things just started to flip as the decade went along. Bird retires, um, Reggie Lewis dies. People stopped caring about hockey as much. Cam Neely's hip, and it just became negative. And by the end of that decade, I think that's right. when John,
4: John Harrington, yeah, 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 yeah.
0: So, and I think that's when uh, Callahan, was he the one that coined "Fellowship of the Miserable." Uh, I don't. I
4: think that was Ordo. No, Patino said that, right? Remember, Patino said that in the press conference, didn't
0: he? I forget who. Yeah, well, he did the all the negativity <laughs> in this town stinks and it sucks and right. it sinks, whatever. Right. But um,
4: yeah, maybe it was Jerry. Yeah, yeah. I think there's something to
0: that, but yeah, go ahead. Well, I was just, so it seems like since these last 30 years has, has edged toward the negative in ways that I've never totally understand. I didn't understand when I lived there. I don't understand watching it from afar now. And at the same time, some of the elements make sense. And, you know, like you were talking about with the Patriots where, Number 1 is the Patriots. Number 2 is P, is the, is going at people who are coming at the Patriots. That is kind of Boston. So maybe the area just should be negative. What is your take on all of this?
4: Well, here's what I'd say. I don't know if it started in 90 or whatever, but I think you would maybe disagree. I don't know. But I think if you went back and looked at Bill Simmons' columns from say when I was reading started reading Digital City, so that was like 99, 98, 99. I was
0: out in LA, yeah. failing
4: to be a, a screenwriter at that point reading your stuff i was one of your first subscribers i remember i'd get wow. it in my inbox nice you, 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 you were yeah i think i was like number like 41 or something some crazy number <laughs> and uh and you, I, think, I, think, I think you would agree that if you went back and looked at your stuff that you were plenty negative at that point you I were not, it was was. not uh it was not sunshine there was a lot of negativity um so i think when you live there when you're in the middle of it there's no doubt. I mean, there is, there's, I don't know what it is. I don't, I don't know if it's the weather. I don't know if it's generational. I don't know if it's the Irish influence. I don't know what it is. But I've lived in California. I've been other places. This place is seeped in negativity. But I look at it to somebody who lives here, and I like it. I embrace it. I don't have a problem with it. I like fighting. I like being cynical. I like being negative. I like being sarcastic. I like challenging things. I honestly, you know, if you said to me, you make the money I make now, which is a nice amount of money, or work with, Betray Wingo, make five, six, seven times more, whatever it is, and do four hours a day with Mike Bollock and Mike Joe Jr. I would, put, I would say, put a bullet in my head. So just put a bullet in my head. I can't talk. I, I, I can't sit. I, I can't sit there and be like, uh, you know, whatever it is, is you know. Uh, but he's a nice man. Oh, but he's a nice man. Nick Saban is misunderstood. This guy's nice. Who do you think's better? This guy's great. Oh, let's bring in this guest right now and talk about how great this other guest is. I have no, no interest in doing that. Absolutely none. Whether it started in 1990, you might be right. I don't know. But I would say this is, you know, the rise of social media uh, and competition, I think, has bred it. Now, I think it's always been inside people. I think now there are just more outlets to be an asshole. Like, yeah. I don't think people in 1981, you talked about like Ray Fitzgerald and all these other guys, there were assholes in 1977. Like on the street, but there's no sports talk radio and there is no Facebook and Twitter and whatever for there to be. I mean, you grew up here, you know. I mean you went to Celtics fans like I did. All the all people I, I go to half my dad my dad and I had season tickets for the Celtics. My dad did. We had half season tickets. So I'd go see the bird Celtics. And half time I'd go have a hot dog and sit outside, you know, uh, you know, waiting for the and this is the Celtics, you know, we're probably like fifty seven and twelve at this at that point. And everyone's beating. I mean, that's just that's just the way it is. It's always been that way here. Yeah, no, might, I, I I feel that way.
0: It might be well. You think about it. The two Boston and Philly, I think, are the top two, right? For for cities that just never seem to be happy unless the team is the teams are really really doing well, you know. And you like my dad. I talked to my right. dad last week, and he was like, "You can't believe the heat on Belichick right now." And I'm like, "What? We won five Super Bowls." Oh, it's and it's like people are, are you, people have are lost their minds over this Malcolm Butler thing. And I'm like, we won five Super Bowls. He's like, you don't understand. It's The weather sucks here and people are so mad we lost that game and they just don't understand why Malcolm Butler didn't play. And he's like, I'm walking around Beacon Hill and it's like every conversation I have is about Malcolm Butler. And that's just the way it is. How long have
4: you lived in LA now?
0: Too long, 16 years.
4: So I, I I wonder like if it's just so long now, like all that blood is like left your system. We're like because like, there's no way that you, you're talking to your dad and you're really saying, Oh, come on, they can't believe you. Cause, cause you you are from here. You know if you lived here and they didn't play Butler at all, that night with your friends watching the game, you'd be like, Why why the fuck is a butler playing? What is wrong with Bellatra? You would definitely have those conversations.
0: See how but I was having I don't
4: the, twenty Super Bowls.
0: I was having the conversation of why the hell did we let them just do the seven and a half minute drive? with nine and a half minutes to go in the fourth quarter. Why, why weren't we sending the house? Why weren't we trying to either, you know, blitz and either they score a touchdown and we get the ball back or we make something happen. Why are we just sitting there and letting them go five, six, seven yards at a time? I will never understand that. I would have driven Matt Patricia to the airport. I'll never understand it. (laughs) It, It's like the only thing that couldn't happen. The only thing that couldn't happen in that fourth quarter was a seven minute drive, which they let happen. And I tried not to get mad that night, and I was bummed, and I was like, "Oh my god!" Like that was the first time I felt like a Pats, Belichick team had gotten out coached. And then, you know, the sounds of the game inside the NFL; those shows start up on like Tuesday, and I'm torturing myself watching. And by Thursday, I'm like, "What the fuck were we doing? How do we? How do we let that? They, they had the ball nine and a half minutes left. They either let them come down and score, make a, anything." We don't get the ball back till two twenty one. So I did get mad. I was less mad about the Butler thing. I I just at this point, like they obviously read something into something that they didn't like. I think they told him he wasn't starting. I think he reacted badly and they were like, Screw this, he's out. I, I really don't think it was anything exa- more complicated.
4: I agree. I think I think that's exactly what happened. What's funny is the Monday after the game, the Monday after the Super Bowl. We took. We just took calls the whole show. We we're like, we'll just take call. We don't usually take a lot of calls. I'm on the day, you know. I would say I'm going to conservatively estimate that 100 percent of sports talk callers suck. Yeah. But on that day, we decided to take. We decided to take them. I'll, I'll, we can talk about because because they're the, it's it's the worst. But we took them. I, I'm not lying when I say the majority of the callers were asking calling for Belichick to be fired after the Super Bowl. To be fired from his job <laughs> That's after amazing. the Super Bowl. The guy who's coached, I don't know, um, eight Super Bowls, is that right? Eight Super Bowls to the Patriots? And yeah. they are calling for him to be fired. And, and the great thing about sports stock callers is they'll call whatever. Give or be, calls in. And you know, yeah, I want Belichick to be Okay, why? Uh, and so by I mean, the time you get second question, they have nothing. They have absolutely nothing. Just It's just misplaced anger. And there's nothing worse well, I don't know. When I'm in a car and I'm driving around, I don't want to hear some guy call and give his opinion on the sports talk show. We do it because that's what shows always do. If I had a show to myself, which who knows, I may have eventually, I'm a dedicated a segment or two to callers. I hate, I hate callers. I do. <laughs> I hate callers. I hate them.
0: You know? I. Uh, the only thing worse than callers are are college coaches. That those are the oh, single worst yeah, radio right. guests you can have. Like coach, you got to be proud of your guys. <laughs> Oh, we're so proud. We're so proud, Kirk. We just—I love the way we're playing right now. It is—that is the worst. I when when I was on the McDonough show, he used to call like the BC hockey coach, and we would have to talk to this guy for 25 minutes, and it was like, I'm like, people have to be driving into the highway dividers. Listen to this. This can't be the best. Well, that's
4: right. Well, the other thing I like to the—you know—after Hayward got hurt, uh, I sarcastically started the show by saying. I need callers. I need calls from people who have suffered similar injuries. I want to know what happened. I want to know what the timetable is. because you guys know. Yeah. You know? we got calls for hours. Yeah, I heard myself playing softball. You know, the guy who hurt himself. I love that guy too. He <laughs> knows exactly what the process is. Right. He's not back in three weeks. He's a pussy. You know, that, those calls. I love those calls. Those are the best. The best. And I also like the professional callers. Like, like the from around here, you have like the Danny from Quincy, the old Butch from the Cape. Like you know, we owe you six minutes. Like you've earned this because you've called sports talk radio so many times in your life. Yeah. So you can monologue, and we we don't want to interrupt. I love that. I love that. Love
0: it. So the Boston sports media scene right now we had we had some drama over the weekend with um, oh. Ron Borges got duped by a caller. What Nick from Boston? That's the that's the uh, Nick from Boston. Yeah. So he duped yeah. Ron Borges, yeah, pretended he was Tom Brady's agent, Don Yee. And the Herald wrote a back page story based on these random texts that this guy did to Ron Borges. And then uh, later that same day, the midday host, one of the midday hosts of a WEI show, Christian Foria, um, he decided to reenact the text in, a, in an inappropriate Asian accent, and now he's suspended. And yeah, yeah. not a great week.
4: did go. Didn't go well, uh, you know, I, I'm not, listen, I'm not going to sit here and, and, you know, I've been suspended, I think, five times in the last six years, so I'm not really one to pass judgment. Right. But I, I'll say, we'll start, we'll start with the Nick thing. So Nick is a caller, is a caller to our show, uh, I guess. You know, he calls once in a while, he likes our show, hates Borges, who I also hate, Ron Borges, by the way. I hate This so you talk about negativity. um should I be happy that somebody is in trouble with their job professionally? No. Am I happy that Borges is? Yes. I'll admit it. I'm petty. You're talking to a petty person. So 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 uh so this whole thing happens with Borges where Borges, you know, old people tend to either text up pictures of their penis or their telephone number on Twitter, it seems to me. Like, you know. The telephone number I think is by mistake. The 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 other stuff, I don't know how that works. Yeah. So he tweets out his telephone number, it's like, like Gammons does sometimes and Ryan does and Shaughnessy does. I'm not sure what happens where they do that. So it was up there for like 20 minutes, just long enough in this world for somebody to grab and say, I'm going to screw with this guy. And the guy unbeknownst to us uh, pretended to be Don Yee and went back and forth with Borges and fooled Borges into thinking, right, that that Brady was going to hold out unless he got the same contract as Jimmy Garoppolo. Now to that, I would say, if you're Borges, great. If Don Yee has this, maybe you should second source it. Secondly, Uh, A 41-year-old quarterback is going to demand $75 million guaranteed, and he's never done anything like that in his career before? Well, That's a little strange to me.
0: Yeah, Um, I was going to say that the third and biggest part of this is it – I mean, I heard this story. I was like, that doesn't sound like anything Brady would do. It didn't pass the sniff test. So where were the editors on this whole thing? That's a good
4: question. I mean, you're a a Harold alum. The other other thing is, just said sources in his story, plural which is a lie. He lied. That that, that, that. that. We've done this for the last couple of days. That's the thing that I think most people hate Borges, so they're happy that, that he's in trouble. But sources would indicate that somebody else then confirmed this thing that Nick from Boston made yeah. up. So someone's confirming something, which is bullshit, which means it's bullshit. I right. mean, you know, I saw the Stephen Glass movie. I, I, I'm like Peter Sarsgaard on this. I could break it down like nobody's business. So so Borges, I think, is whether he's done or done, like officially done or not, it doesn't matter. They bring him back to the Herald, which is on its last legs anyway. Whatever he writes now, he is now a legit punching line. Uh, you know, uh, uh, he's a punchline no matter what. On top of the plagiarism thing from like ten years ago, nobody wanted to deal with it. But ultimately, happened to. He's colored by his own bias. He hates Belichick. He hates the Patriots. He wanted the story to be true,
0: so he ran with it. Yeah. Uh, um, what's next? What what what's going to light your fire over these next few weeks?
4: Well, the other thing—the other thing that, that, that we've done a lot of is sort of, see you that know, we do a lot of on our show, sort of story of the day stuff. Like, just take take today, for instance. We're doing this Monday afternoon. Like, you know, uh, the Boston Police Department—I don't know if you saw it—they tweeted out that picture of Red back for uh, 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 Black History Month. Did you see this?
0: I didn't see this.
4: So it's Black History Month in February, right? And Boston Police Department says, "Congratulations on Black History Month," or whatever. Uh, all this stuff built for Russell. Then they tweeted out a picture of the Red Auerbach statue. It, it got deleted. Stephen A. flipped out on him. <laughs> oh, no. uh, Marty Walsh said it's disgusting. Like, it, 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 all right. Now, well, Now I have to admit, when I think of the great black Americans in history, Red Auerbach is not in the top five. I'll grant yeah. you that. But right. I would say you can, make, you can make the case that drafted Chuck Cooper, starting five, uh, making Russell the coach, The fact that in the 60s, while they 50s and 60s, they didn't want them in hotel rooms. Red said, fuck it, we're taking the whole team out of this hotel then. I think Auerbach did a lot for that. So I think he could be saluted for that. But, you know, Marty Walsh is saying it's a disgrace. It's an embarrassment. I I feel like we're in this, like, let's let's pander in society. Let's let's over-pander on each other. Let's top each other. When Sometimes you just have to say, all right, it was a stupid tweet. You know what, Red Auerbach did you some good things. But there's this reason out, this rush to outrage that, Seems crazy that I feel like it's so connected to the fact that Trump's president and people want to put that anger somewhere else that leads to this insanity. I mean, we had a crazy summer with the Adam Jones story. I mean, yeah. absolutely nuts. It's it's like it's it's total madness right now. I've never seen race in America so it's such a fever pitch. I mean, maybe I call it great I think it might have something to do with the fact that Trump's president. I don't know, but it's 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 nuts right now
0: and that's something you've you've really pushed the envelope on with your show with the pander culture trying to actually actually like do you buy
4: into it or no huh do you buy into it or no
0: yeah i i mean i i think i think trump ignited a lot of trump opened a lot of scars that probably weren't properly stitched up in this country and uh and it does seem like the, com- the country's gone a little bit off the rails in a lot of different ways. And I don't know, I, I see it here in LA. Like LA has this massive homelessness problem right now. And it, it seems like people's like nobody's even kind of talking about it or caring about it. Meanwhile, they're, these tents are popping up all over the place. And, you know, they made, they changed this rule out here that, um, If you have a tent, you can basically park on whatever sidewalk you want. And this is becoming like, I would say the biggest issue LA has right now. And it's like, it's not happening. But yet if, you know, 20 beagles in North Korea were saved at the Olympics, that would be a national story for four days. I just, uh, I don't understand what the priorities are right now, just with anything. Doesn't make a lot of sense. But I think think our
4: show, I think it sort of mischaracterizes a sports talk show. Our show isn't. We talk about sports a lot. We sort of talk about the issue of the day more than anything else. And sort of, I mean, we definitely tap into the anger and into the passion. Like, you know, like today I listen to our afternoon show, with Dale Arnold and, and Holly and Rich Keith, and they spent the first two, three segments talking about the Pierce retirement ceremony. And I'm thinking, well, that's fine, but like, where's the who's going to disagree? It was really nice. He was a good player. Like, where's the where's the fight in that? Like, after a while, I get I I, I tune out. I get bored. And my problem is, I'll just stay in the air. I'll be like, this is a this is a terrible fucking segment. Like, let's, <laughs> really? let's talk about anything else. I, I mean, literally, let's we, we could talk about. Any, we'll, you know, let's talk about the Eagles documentary. We us right. talk about anything else other, than that. anything else, anything else. So,
0: yeah, I think you're I fall the, into that trap too. I think you're the first host who heckles his own show on Twitter as it's happening. I've never seen that before. Like if yes. if if Tate was here right <laughs> oh, now, like tweeting <laughs> about this segment, I I just I think you've uh, I think you've created a new franchise with that. <laughs>
4: Oh, it's really worked out well. Management does. Management can't get enough of it. They love it. I'm sure we'll get the
0: sponsorship at some point. No doubt. Um, all right. Good luck with the next. Uh, this is kind of the dead time with with the Boston sports right now, especially because I got to be honest. I've been worried about the Celtics for seven weeks, and I've been worried that a ooh, national ooh, televised ooh. embarrassment like yesterday was coming for a while. They'd kind of been overachieving, which is weird because their record was pretty high. But the you know, the entire second unit revolving around Terry Rogier is not ideal by by any scenario. And I think they didn't make a trade because I genuinely think that they think Gordon Hayward is coming back. But in the meantime, it's it's pretty yeah. bad. And they just are getting their asses kicked. Every single game they're down by twelve points. And uh I don't know, every it's yeah, bizarre. It's-, it's been a weird season.
4: It's been a strange season, and, and you know you watch that game yesterday, and I know it's no different. Than it, but LeBron literally can go to the basket and score whatever he wants and yeah. you're thinking in the seven game in the seven-game series. Why is why is that going to change in a seven-game series when they face each other? Like, what's what's going to be the difference when it comes down to that? Yeah, you know? I mean, it's 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 yeah, it's it's a weird. It's been it's been a bizarre, bizarre, uh, bizarre something season. So we're gonna get. So now now we're you're gonna come on the enough about me podcast, correct? That's done.
0: I, I wanna cu- I wanna be the third guy on your show when I'm in Boston one time. I went what's that called? The casting you can, couch? You that, you've thrown that out
4: like forty times over it's, that's bullshit. You've thrown like forty times over the past couple of years. I know, years.
0: but I've never been in Boston. I one of these times I wanna come back and I wanna be the... Because it, it i gotta be honest, no offense, but it doesn't seem like the bar is like that high for the, the couch person. I think I could do it. I think oh, I could handle it say, for four how dare
4: hours. You say that. <laughs> <No>. I mean <laughs> In my defense, in our show's defense, it's been almost two weeks since one of our Casa coach members uh, made fun of Tom Brady's kid. I mean, that's, <laughs> there's something to be said for that, right?
0: Yeah did that did that blow over finally? Maybe? No.
4: Oh, uh, I didn't think heading the Super Bowl week that, that was going to be the biggest story in the country for like three hours, but it was. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it blew over, that Brady was Brady, We're lucky. That Brady seems like genuinely a good guy. Like he's he does. Like in our dealings with him, we have him on every week. He's a good guy. I think he thought it was actually said on a show. It wasn't. Yeah. Uh, I think it's blown over now. I don't know what what Alex Dreamer's future is. Uh, in the city, it's tough. It's. I mean, there's no not a lot of rules I follow, but like there's not a lot of upside on on, on dumping on the five year old kid that this, this this doesn't really work out that that often.
0: Yeah. Wait, last question, what year does Tom yeah. Brady retire?
4: I'm gonna say two thousand.
0: I, I watched that. Did you watch Tom vs. Time? I did. I, I enjoyed it. What did you think? <laughs> I liked it. And then That's I, was good, telling, right? I was telling people why I liked it, and uh, one of my friends was making fun of me. Like, of course you liked it. It's Tom Brady. And I was like, no, nah, actually, you know what? He, he's a really private guy, and I, I, I actually learned a lot about his life and what his house looked like and what his routine's like. And it wasn't that long. I kind of ate it up. I enjoyed it.
4: Yeah, I just kind of like looking at like his blender and stuff like that. Yeah, it's weird. And, like, in his, his, in like, his office, his, 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 like, and stuff. Yeah, and it's yeah, it's, it's like he's got like a sh-
0: good good wide shot. Shitty TV in his office. Right. Yeah. yeah like, it, was, it was like, why isn't his TV bigger? But then, like his car, he had this souped-up car, and then it, the the funniest part to me was they went to Costa Rica, right? And he's driving these oh, ATV surfing, vehicles yeah. with. He's got like Edelman and Amendola with them and they drive these ATV. they're driving through like this forest, and they land at this man-made football field. And it became clear that this was like Tom Brady's Costa Rican compound, and that he had built the man-made football field. But they they weren't really saying that in the documentary. But yeah, it was like, wh- wh- why is there a man-made football field in Costa Rica and like the forest? This is ridiculous. I, said, was that in Montana? I thought it was in Montana.
4: Wasn't it with those guys? I don't know. Maybe you're right. I don't, am, I, am I mixing it anyway, up? Anyway, I think... You're mixing up your Brady, like, weird spots in the world that he's built football fields in. (laughs) You're right. I might be mixing it up. I will say this is more than a little, and I like Brady, there's more than a little whiff of Scientology to Brady. I met Guerrero at the Super Bowl, by the way, for the first time. Yeah, I'll tell you the story real quick before my Brady prediction. I was at the Mall of America for the Super Bowl, which was, I would say, probably... The second or third worst experience of my life, <laughs> going to the Mall of America for the Super Bowl, okay. and I've had shingles, and both my parents have died in the last couple of years. Yeah. I'd say I'd rank it top two or three, <laughs> uh, but one of the nights I went on a night show at Ford, board, and I walked down, and the Mall of America had a had a, a store that sells cookie dough, just cookie dough, and I was like, fuck, I'm going to check it out. I had nothing else to do. I went to the store, had this big thing of cookie dough in the bowl, turned around, I took a step, and walked right into Alex Guerrero, who was like judging me with these weird eyes, and I've been critical of Guerrero. And Guerrero like was like super nice and kind and like I almost thought he was gonna like invite me into the room. Remember like when, when Tom Cruise got promoted and they like shook his hand and gave him that sword and left like, and pants or whatever? Yeah. He moved up to like Theon Seven in Scientology. Yeah. I got that vibe. But uh, but 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 it's working for Brady. Brady's going to play until he's forty five. He keeps saying forty five. Tom House in that documentary said forty five. Now barring an injury, which could definitely happen. Are you telling me the Brady you see right now, at like 15% worse when he's 43 or 44, 20% worse? Is it a good NFL quarterback? I mean, why
0: not? I yeah. also think 45 because he's been saying it for the last few years. And it really seems like yeah, I think the I, number he's yeah, fixated on is 45. But this is what happened to Kobe, who's another guy who I think would have played to 45, but he got hurt. And I think when you're an old athlete, no matter how good you are, when you get hurt and you can't train for seven, eight, months straight and your routine gets shaken up, I don't think you can put it back together once you pass a certain age. That's what happened to Kobe. He was never the same after he blew out his Achilles. And I think if that doesn't happen, I really think he could have kept playing at the 2012, 13, like he was still putting up points, you know, and he was still pretty athletic. And with Brady, it's like, it's all fun and games. Like you even saw in the Eagles game, there was two or three times when, Somebody rolled into his legs, like any one of those. That's it. You you get hurt and you're done. So I would also say 45.
4: Well, ultimately, Garopp- Brady uh, Belichick talked about Garoppolo's uh, Brady's agent contract when he drafted Garoppolo. Brady just ultimately outplayed what Belichick thought he was going to be. Belichick's probably slotted 36, 37 years old, and Brady just outperformed it. Like he, the crafts had to. The craft had. To. That's another reason why I think Brady's going to play at least 45. Is they wouldn't have traded Garoppolo if Brady was gone in this year or next year? I think Brady told the crafts. I'm i on 45. The crafts said to Belichick listen, we don't tell you to do anything else. We're telling you to do this. And Belichick said, "All right, fine, bucket. I'm trading to the first team I'm calling and trading to the 49ers." I believe that part of the Wickersham story, 1,000 percent. That I do believe.
0: Really? I don't believe the crafts told him to do anything. Yeah. I, th- I think they had a conversation about it. I just don't think. I don't think Kraft at this age of just where he is in life. I don't see him just ordering Belichick to do something, but I think they probably had a real conversation about it. Like, Hey, I talked to Tom, like, you know, he's really adamant. He's going to play till 45. What are we going to do? Jimmy's a restricted free agent. We can't pay both guys. Like you, you've got to make a decision on this. And I think that maybe that's how it played out. Maybe. Yeah.
4: The Brady Garoppolo debate was eerily similar to the, uh, Steve Grogan with a neck brace versus Tommy Hodson debate.
0: In, uh, I remember, I that, that, unforgettable. That major,
4: that <laughs> that, right that, that, right
0: <laughs> that the Steve Grogan one was more like <laughs> he should retire. He's wearing a neck brace. We don't want him to get <laughs> paralyzed. Uh, Kirk Minihan, thank you so much. This was uh, this is fun. Right, I'm glad we finally right, did go. this. Uh, take care. Sounds good. Uh right, thanks,
4: guys.
0: Thanks to ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. My listeners can try it for free at ZipRecruiter dot com slash bs thanks to Gillette get Gillette performance delivered to your door no more getting mad at yourself because you just got back from the grocery store and you realize you forgot to buy blades just get them online it's so easy subscribe today pick your favorite razor get every fourth order free visit Gillette online at Gillette on dot com And thanks to hair growth from just for men, an easy-to-use topical solution that's clinically proven to help regrow hair, formulated with the number one dermatologist recommended ingredient proven to regrow hair, 5% minoxidil. It reactivates hair follicles, hair follicles, hair follicles, hair follicles to stimulate regrowth, perfect for men with thinning hair with a unique precision spray applicator. This is hair regrowth made easy. Start winning over thinning. Look for hair regrowth in the shave bio. Or visit HairRegrowth.com and use promo code REGROWTH25 to get 25% off your purchase. Thanks to Rob Stone. Thanks to Jacko. Thanks to my dad. Thanks to Kirk Minnehan. And uh, we'll be back midweek with a guest we have never had on before. Who knows stuff about stuff. It'll be good. Until then. I
4: wanna
2: on